This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, it's first edition. It's November, early November. It's time for the It Books of the Month. Rebecca Shinsky joins me again. And I'd say this is the, since we've started doing this in April, this is the weakest month so far of It Books. Rather yes. than trying to cull from, to get down from 17 to 10, or in some cases not, uh, as previous months when I, it was too hard for me and I didn't have the courage to do it, I was kind of trying to figure out how to come up with 10 that were interesting to talk about. If I were the Pulitzer Prize Committee and I was inclined to no award, right, as they do sometimes, it infuriates us both, this would be the candidate to do it. Now, we're not going to do that because it's not, you know, it's not a binary. It's the it book of the month. What would be the book of the month? It's all relative. There you go. So I've got 10. If you're new joining us this time and there's new people finding the show every episode, every month, thank you so much for joining us. The it book designation is... It's a vibe, right? And several things go into the vibe. It could be sales, which is not a vibe that is real. It could be track record. It could be of the moment, right? Does it feel relevant to something that's going on now? Is it buzzy? Is, it, does it have some buzz coming out of it? And a couple of couple of stuff. Uh, I did my it book picks of the week for today in books yesterday, so it was October, and it was a weaker day. And I picked a debut for fiction. And I tend okay. not to do that because, as mm-hmm. we've talked about at length, it's hard for much debut to get much traction. But it was Barnes & Noble's Discover Pick of the Year. The Berry Pickers is the name of the book. Uh, if you don't subscribe, you got that one for free. And if you're, if you're ever going to get it to do debut, Barnes & Noble's Pick of the Year is a pretty good one. Because what we found with Barnes & Noble is they can move some units on their Book of the Year and Discover. So we'll see. And it sounds like it's a catapult title, a literary mystery. So I, I took a flyer on it, and I wasn't like, well, I'm really overlooking X book, and that's kind of where we're going to be today. So having said all that, Rebecca, let's get started. The first one here, this is random order of the 10 books. Okay. I put them in a spreadsheet, and then I did some random.org. So this one, I didn't even mess with the order. Sometimes I do if I've got something I want to save till the end, but this one I didn't. We have The Future by Naomi Alderman, okay. which is a, I don't think it... it I don't actually think it's a sequel to The Power, which did a lot of business and kept really we keep did. getting talked about how it's going to be an adaptation. I don't know. All adaptation new now is Grain of Salt Land, right? It's the Morton Salt adaptation news um, corner yeah, here these days. Assume that everything is getting optioned. Wait yeah. until there's a cast and a director and all of that. And all business. that stuff. Yeah. We, I, I'm, I'm to the point where I need a trailer. I'm not kidding. Or at least those like Vanity Fred still spreads we get in advance of it. Like, <laughs> like I need Ethan Hawke looking over. His, yes, is occurring. That's right. I need Ethan Hawke looking over his shoulder with a weird haircut, well lit to know that. Great. That's leave the world can, behind. I have some questions. Can about every adaptation include Ethan Hawke? Please. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, so having said that, the power it won the Women's Prize for Fiction. Mm-hmm. Book of the Year choice by New York Times, Washington Post, a bunch of others. It made it onto Obama and Bill Gates's reading list. That's pretty damn good, right? For something like I mean, yes. it really is pretty it, damn good. 
one of the indicators of kind of mainstream yes. recognition. Yeah. And it is literary genre, right? Um, that one was spec fic. This one is the main character finds herself working for a social media mogul hell bent on controlling everything. So this is, I don't know. We need to do Sounds trend familiar. watch. I think end of year trend watch maybe because the December it books episode is not a thing we can do with, you know, for more than nine minutes. Yeah. But trend watch is interesting, maybe culturally bookishly, but like we have to stop doing avatars for Elon Musk. It's played out, Rebecca. <laughs> it it really is. I am suffering through the third season of The Morning Show on oh, Apple God. TV right now because we're in a little bit of a TV desert at the moment. And John Hamm is playing a basically Elon Musk avatar character. And it's only endurable because it's John Hamm. Mm-hmm. But I was having the same, like, can we be done with this? We all know who this guy is. Yeah. So it, this turns into like a, a near future speculative thriller. I think it sounds interesting. Yeah. I thought the power was quite good. So I don't know. What do you? What's your sense of Naomi Alderman's Q rating? Is this yeah. going to be a thing? What do you think of it? Like, what do you like about its it books proposition? I think it point? sounds interesting. It has a lot of the grabby elements for an it book. It is about something that we're thinking about and talking about in the news. Insofar as Elon Musk is sadly never far yeah. <laughs> from any of our thoughts, um, she has a nice, like, a feminist perspective on things. The fact that it made that the power made the Bill Gates and Obama list um, also tells me that there are edges to this book, but that they yeah. are, or at least to the previous one, but they aren't so sharp as to turn off some mainstream readers. Like this is a right. hallmark, especially of the Obama lists, is that they're interesting but relatively safe. Yeah, I'm curious about whether this one stays in that lane or will you know push any boundaries. Sometimes after authors have had a big success reaching an audience, they you know get a little braver and they're like, "What if you come with me and we just get a little bit weirder?" Yeah. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see. I think this is a solid contender. I, I as think an so too. I, I think yeah. I could imagine it being. I think in a good September, October, it might be the seventh or eighth choice, which is pretty mm-hmm. good. Cool. So that's Naomi Alderman. Very interested to see. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tear jerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. 
So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Next one up, also a follow-up. Class by Stephanie Land comes out Mm. next week from Atria. Her book Maid was the chronicle of her time as a maid. A really, it made waves, this book, in in talking about the realities of being a service worker, paid under the table, working for rich people, the realities of trying to make ends meet, turned into a Netflix series. Like, I, I think that's one of the, if we looked at the books of the year for the year that came out, I don't even know, it was like 2017, something like that, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And especially in looking in the long arc of it, right? When we, oh, 2018, I'm pretty close. Yeah. This book has had a long life and a high profile. Uh, again, it was an Obama pick. So that's interesting. Netflix says that 67 million households watch this in the fourth most watch Dang. show of 2021, which is wow. not nothing, not nothing at all. Class is a follow-up where, you know, Land becomes a mother and Mm. then also now is a writer. So I think that's an interesting take, but also we have seen historically that if you've got the one life memoir and then you're not doing another interesting life like that or a notable life or an underrepresented life, then writing about being a writer subsequently, I'm not sure, Rebecca. That gives me pause mm. a little bit here. So I don't so know exactly what this is going to be. is about being a writer? Well, here, I'll read you the blurb. Okay, right? yeah, so help me out a little. Most of the press is about how great, how big of a thing Maid was, right? So I'm just looking mm-hmm. at Edelweiss. Two of the three paragraphs uh, are about Maid, which is not well. inspiring, except on the other hand, Maid was huge. So here we yeah. go. Class paints an intimate and heartbreaking portrait of motherhood, 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 <laughs> as it converges and often conflicts with personal desire and professional ambition. Who has the right to create art? Who has the right to go to college? And what kind of work is valid in our culture? In clear, candid, moving prose, class grapples with these questions, offering a searing indictment of America's educational system and inspiring testimony of a mother's triumph against all odds. I, I just mm. wonder if a mother's triumph against all odds plays as well when your show was the fourth most watched adaptation on Netflix in 2021. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm just not sure how this I, is going to play. I do. And I think something like Made is an interesting and compelling way to like hide broccoli in the brownies kind of of like we're gonna talk about issues of class and gender but we're going to do it through this woman's story and people who sit all along the socioeconomic spectrum can find like a hook into that or a way to be interested in it when you call the book overtly class i think you narrow the audience that's going to pick up something that is like is it about socioeconomic class is it about school class my sense is that it's about both but that's it that just is a raising of the bar a raising of the barrier to entry i think for readers yeah. to like have something to glom onto and as you were saying 
after a hit as big as made, the, really the expectation for anybody should be that the performance of their next book will the regress yep. to the mean, right? Um, I saw a piece that she wrote that Landro, I think it was in the Times, about how even for even as successful as Made was, both as a book and a Netflix thing, she is still like struggling to pay her bills. And it was well, one that, of those maybe like making that's it. About that, that's interesting. Maybe yeah. if it's a, a part and parcel. Like making it. Yeah, making it doesn't always mean making it is an interesting story to tell. I think I'm going to keep Naomi Alderman yeah. here. Yeah. I also have a working theory that you and I have talked about. I was in New York doing business meetings with publishers the last week, and you joined me with some Zoom ones, and people were asking about trends. I was going to save this for the Book Riot podcast, but I guess mm-hmm. I'll put it here because I guess it goes into the It Book stew that we're trying to, to cook up here, is I am feeling, and I think it's showing up in the upmarket literary titles that are doing quite well, um, some post-COVID, post-Trump, post-Black Lives Matters, George Lloyd fatigue, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm seeing it out there, mm-hmm. of the, the, the homework kind of reads. And this feels to me like a homework read where you're going to read about someone living below the poverty line trying to get her college degree. Totally valid, totally interesting, and fair critique of the American educational system as it comes to. In terms of people actually picking up to read it, I wonder if the environment is different than it was in 2018, which is in the middle of the Trump stuff, right? Yeah, I think that's a really important point here. People do have like existential wiggles right now. (laughs) There's revenge travel. You know, we're Mm -hmm. like just marathon watching old shows on Netflix for some reason. And I do think that getting people to like dig in, especially like the news is awful on multiple fronts. very bad right now. And here in the U.S., we're rolling into a, a very fraught presidential mm-hmm. election cycle. Typically, escapist entertainment is the thing that people reach for in moments like this. It's like the reason that romance novels are basically recession-proof. Mm-hmm. So I think the expectation should be that what will happen like r- right now with nonfiction and really through this time next year, at least until we get through the election, will be an increased and ongoing tendency to reach for like the more entertainment-y entertainments and less of the homework, self-improvement. I'm putting this in my brain so I can learn something and be a better citizen kinds of stuff. Yes. Being a citizen is hard enough as it is. They're like, we're all doing enough work. Yeah. <laughs> or we feel like we are well, uh, on that front right now. Well, some of what made the... I think you have to call it the spike in interest in sales of how to be anti-racist type books was how unusual that kind of homework making the world better reading on the top of the bestseller list is. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I, don't, I don't know of parallels, right? Usually if we get like nonfiction or self-helpy, it's like The Alchemist or The Secret. Right. It was wonderful and inspiring to see, again, there's limitations and they don't represent everyone. Those are all things are true. But how much of that was a product of the time and historically contingent and you can't replicate again? And I think your point about regression to the mean is is a fair one. Yeah. It's tough tough to do this stuff twice. Okay. But an interesting book here. Mm -hmm. You will find it perhaps hypocritical or ironical (laughs) for me to have the third book here. Um, But I think we at least have to talk about it. Okay. It's called Breaking Twitter. By Ben Mesrick, <laughs> Elon Musk, and the okay, most controversial well. corporate takeover in history. <laughs> now, I we got a Walter Isaacson, Elon Musk book. We have also gotten a lot of Sam Bakeman fried 
FTX stuff, the Michael Lewis. There was another one called yep. um, Number Go Up, which is actually a wonderful title. I want to read that book too. Um, and then we get all the trial stuff. And I think amongst the kinds of people that buy books, the appetite for doesn't even have to be hagiography, but like quasi even empathetic reads of these dudes is at an all time low. Agreed. Having said that, Mesrick is not here to make to to put halos on saints. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think breaking Twitter is it more immune to the Elon Musk avatar fatigue that I was talking mm, about? Can it break yes. through? Is it coming with enough different spice that maybe it's worth a bite at the buffet? I think it has a better shot. Okay. Mesrick is a fun and funny writer, yes. very engaging. He can be spiky and critical of his subjects. That's one of the things that makes the books fun and engaging. I feel like it's too early. Like I culturally we feel like Elon has broken Twitter. Yeah. But it's too early to try to tell the whole story. That's what I'm kind of thinking too. Right? Like with the book coming out now, Mesrick must have stopped writing a couple of months ago. I would love Ben Mesrick to write this book in 2025. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, the subtitle is The Takeover, and The Takeover is done, but the long effects of that takeover still mm-hmm. feel like it's yet to be written. I, I feel the same way. I feel the same Yeah, way. and I felt the same about the Isaacson. I think it is yeah. too soon for trying to take a look at this person's, you know, big life story, yeah. setting aside all of the criticism of Isaacson's approach in that particular mm-hmm. one. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think Ben Mesrick has a better chance than the others of than the other like Twitter Elon kind of stuff of right. rising. But I just don't know what the appetite for like, let's yeah. think more about the cesspool of social media is. So I, I'm at least in a nonfiction sense. So I, I think that the fact that Alderman is coming from fiction and mm-hmm. it'll be creative and you can do some escapist stuff there gives her the edge here so in this head-to-head that we've accidentally created i'm gonna pass naomi alderman through for another round yep up next uh we're kind of in sequel follow-up land i guess i guess bez mesrick he's written there's a whole genre like the bez the ben mesrick like messy business number story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the mystery guest comes out november 28th from nita prose who you might remember had a breakout hit with the maid in january of last year this is a standalone, but the the main character is the same, Molly Gray, who is coded, I think we can fairly say, as neurodivergent, though it's never explicitly mm-hmm. said. And prose tells the story through her eyes, and the, the character is underestimated by people around her, misread by people around her, and has a different sensibility than people around her. And that really enlivens the you know, what is a fairly standard murder mystery kind of a plot? Like someone's dead in a hotel room? I mean, are there tens of yep. thousands of these? Probably so. <laughs> but this was a different take. I think it's fair to say that from some corners, the use slash representation slash this particular characterization of someone with neurodivergence was unwelcome. I agree. I don't know if that became the... Certainly from the sales numbers, it didn't matter. I don't know if that will affect this. I don't know how much Nita Prose is taken to heart. Maybe there's different things that could be done here. And then maybe the most important for our weird consideration is, does Nita Prose have any follow-on branding juice of people that mm. like the maid 
Are they getting even recognized that it's the same book? They're, they're <laughs> using very similar cover designs. It's like the same format, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. blue. You know, do we have a new, do we have a new franchise here in the world of slightly upmarket literary mysteries? So Rebecca... Chinsky, I kick it to you yeah. to adjudicate the mystery guest. By Nita <laughs> yeah, you said most of the things that I was going to say about mm-hmm. the complexities around the maid and that in the mainstream reading world, those were, I don't even think it was that they didn't matter. I think it was just that most mainstream readers were completely unaware. Because <laughs> they're not were, online reading right. you know, that stuff. Yeah, That those were critiques that were leveled against the maid. Genre readers are more likely to be loyal to an author then I think readers uh, who are sort of skipping around like a dedicated mystery reader who finds an author that they like will stick with that reader more than some literary writer. If that literary writer is moving around in topic and this book sold the, the maid sold so many, so copies. many copies <laughs> that you don't need every one of those readers to pick up the mystery guest to make it a success. But if they're marketing it as like from the author of the maid <laughs> right. and it looks the same and it's probably going to be on all the like the new mystery tables and displays and all of those things in bookstores, I'd imagine they're doing targeted ads around this kind of thing. I think this has a good shot of breaking out for it bookness, at least in terms of sales. sales. Since it's the same character... There will be conversation among the extremely online yep. if Nita Pros hasn't made any changes to stuff. And, and I continue to think that probably won't matter to most mainstream readers. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to give the edge to, yeah, to Nita Pros over Naomi. I think that Alderman makes here. sense. I think it's a bit of a coin flip. I can feel the coin flip in your voice, but mm-hmm. I, I think this will probably, I probably will personally, I don't know that I'll pick this up myself, to be honest with you. Even though yeah. I like the maid in terms of getting through it and just as a page turning reading experience, I thought the power was far more interesting. So, mm-hmm. but I think you're right. Will the sales might potential of the mystery guest outweigh the, I don't know, the, the more, the higher degree of difficulty slash complexity and of the alderman? There's also something to be said for recency. Like if you're yeah. churning out a new book yeah. when you were one of the big books of the previous that's right. year, that's relatively fresh in readers' that's minds. The power true. is like, what did I read before COVID? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, ask me a question about something I read in 2018. I probably could get you the vibe and not much else. And so uh, relying on readers who did read and enjoy the power to recognize Alderman or to like mm-hmm. seek her out. I think that takes a bigger publicity effort. But the maid was like in every airport bookstore, you very wisely gave me the good advice that if I was going to yes. try the maid out, which I did, it would be a plain read. And I read it and I, I totally agree. And also, I don't need to read another need to nah, pose book yeah, now. Like, right. That, but I'm not a devoted mystery no. reader. And I think devoted mystery readers like that familiarity of an author and a voice that they can hook into. It certainly seems like Nita Prose might be trying to dip her toe in and see, could this become a franchise? Right. Can we continue this character? How's it going to go? So yeah, I'm going to give her the edge here. Yep. I guess the last counter I would, two counters I would say is much like sourdough bread baking, you wonder if COVID hits have any <laughs> post-COVID legs. Like True. what stays, yeah. what we did in COVID stays in COVID. You know, it's the Las Vegas <laughs> of pandemics. I'm not really sure. That's something to think about as well. But also since the novelty of the narrator's perspective was so much of what made that engine go, is the second scoop of ice cream as novel as the first scoop? We'll mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. We'll it's see. a good question. It's interesting. Speaking of COVID, 
Uh, Michael Cunningham's Day comes out November 14th. And it is a family living in a brownstone literary fiction in Brooklyn with a veneer of domestic bliss. We could put this on all books like this, just like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the RSTNLE of descriptions. And all is not well going into COVID. The crucible of COVID makes things even more fraught. And then they come out of it a year later. It's the story of this family. Now, this might be a case for me of two wrongs making a right in this regard. <laughs> okay, tell me more. One is... I haven't really been on the Michael Cunningham train in a while, right? I, I think I read mm-hmm. The Hours, of course, like everyone else did in 98. I read The Snow Queen seven years ago and almost have no memory of it. And then I wasn't in for what was the most... No, I guess I don't remember if I read by Nightfall or The Snow Queen. I'm pretty sure it was The <laughs> Snow Queen, just because the title. But I also am always sort of interested in what Cunningham is, is up to. He's in the Franz in Orbit. Right? He's Mm. of that age, of that Milu, 288 pages. So I'm kind of out on, not out, I'm just hard for me to pick it up in the sea of books available for me to select. And I'm a little out, more than a little out on COVID stories. (laughs) On the other hand, maybe this is the kind of writer I want to crack at the COVID story about. We're taking the domestic sphere, and this is not the Vietnam War, like for, say, a John Updike novel or the sexual revolution for like a 60s literary novel. This is the crucible of the decade of our generation, probably, that many households go through. Do I just need to get over being over <laughs> COVID stories? I guess what I'm asking, because this is a story. And maybe by being, this is a chance for me to re-engage with both of Michael Cunningham and the idea of COVID as a cultural touchstone, a plot device, an artistic concern, you know, and, and an existential wondering. So that's Day by Michael, Michael Cunningham coming out November 14th. I have to say a brisk 288 pages, which you love to see. I haven't been talking page count so far. No great offenders. Class 288. <laughs> okay, the future of 432. All right. So there you go. Day by Michael Cunningham. Mm, I don't think you have to get over being out on COVID books yet. I think it's still too soon. And the example that is most available to me is that like we didn't get the big crop of 2008 financial crash books until like 2013, 2014, when that crash was like really five years in the rearview mirror. And we are three and a half years out of the start of COVID, Mm. but I don't think far enough out of COVID to see the the full cultural context. Like, granted, you don't need the whole cultural context to tell the story about a family that fell apart inside the intensity of being quarantined together. But there's just, I think there's not enough distance yet in the cultural water yeah. for us to be interested and willing to go back in there for entertainment. <laughs> Like literary, all books are entertainment of some kind. We're filling space. Like that's a leisure space that we could fill with many other things. And kind of for the same reasons that I think people are avoiding homework books right now. Everybody has some kind of personal memory from that time. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all still, or most of us are still trying to make sense of some of those things that I just think it's too soon. I agree with you that Cunningham is the kind of writer that I want to see do that. I'm just not ready to go there. It doesn't sound like something that I want to, on a Saturday morning, pick up as the thing I'm going to read that weekend. I'm just not there 
yet. And I think you and I are probably more inclined to a story like that than the average yep. reader, which means that this has some hurdles to jump for it booksiness. So I think Nita Prose is going to win this round. I wonder for us and, and some of our shared authors, but some of our individual authors, what is the take away the author's world, you're going to read anything they write, right? If Colson Whitehouse mm-hmm. pumps out a COVID book tomorrow, we're going to read that book, right? Whether or not it's about COVID. Right. What is the marginal author, which we don't necessarily pick up everything they're going to do, but we would pick up their COVID book? Does that make sense? Oh, you know, yeah, like who, who's, the, who, who's enough of a draw, right? Because again, mm-hmm. if we're going to read everything about that, it doesn't matter what they write about, but who could get us to dip our toes in? Because you read Our Country Friends by Steingart, right? Which is a I different did, kind yeah. of a take and a more, and sounds like more of a, for lack of a better term, sunshiny, more of a, a, a comedy yeah. than anything else. <laughs> yeah. And the new Ann Patchett, Tom Lake, is a little bit of a COVID a book. A little whole, bit. It's it, the, it, the frame, frame story is. Yeah. The frame story Yeah. Is. But who's going who, to who's gonna write that. the, here's a family in a Brooklyn brownstone during COVID. What author mm-hmm. that is not an Insta read for us? Like... Is Claire Masood an Insta read for you? Is uh, that too high? She's not an Insta read anymore, but I think that's just probably also like reverse recency bias. It's been too long well, since. So maybe that's exactly the kind of author. Like if her, ne- she has yeah. a new book coming out. I'm, I can't remember what it's about. I saw the news, but if that right, book was this too. blurb, are we like, huh? That's interesting. Yes, I think yeah. so. I would read yeah, okay. Claire Masood's family falling apart yep. during COVID. All right, fair novel, enough. For sure. <laughs> All right, coming up next, an author I have no experience with, and I'm here for pre-pub buzz okay, and comps and the summary. The demerit is I don't have a relationship with this author for me, and, I don't, and, I, and for me, that's not always a great litmus test for it book candidacy, but I don't think anyone really, I don't think mm-hmm. Ed Park's earlier work helped him at all. Personal <laughs> okay. Days, which was a trade paperback original 14 years ago. Uh, yeah, exactly. And also 544 pages. I want to get so that out So what's the there. title? It's called Same Bed, Different Dreams. Comes out November 7th from Random House. Okay. Okay. So I kind of did the persuasion thing where I led with the stinky bits <laughs> because the tasty bits are very interesting. One is starred reviews in Kirkus. It was an Indie Next pick, Publishers Weekly. It was, I think you saw because you linked to it, one of the 10 best books on Publishers Weekly's total mm-hmm. 10, like all genre top mm-hmm. 10 best lists. So that is not nothing, Rebecca Shinsky, right there. It's not. It's got the honorifics. What is all it about? S- well, here we go. I Just wait a minute here. How dare you ask what a book about is it when you're, when you're, when you're going to be <laughs> asked to judge I make decisions here, man. Yeah, but I'm, I'm ramping up here. The comps. <laughs> okay. Cloud, At- Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. A Visit huh. from the Goon Squad by Jennifer what? Egan. Ooh, there's a COVID novel I yeah, want to read. I was thinking Jennifer about, Gunn. but we'll read anything by Jennifer. Anyway, I'm right, satisfied. Right. Pachinko, Min Jin Lee, The Water huh. Knife, The Sympathizer. What are we, Exhalation by Dead Chiang. What are we doing are, here? Yeah, these are very different books. Okay, so here's the summary. <laughs> what if the KPG still existed now? What is the KGB, you ask? It was a... <laughs> group that secretly worked towards a unified Korea, but was stom- what it was actually stomped out. So that's real. This presupposes okay. what if it was still around and was working in the shadows to heal the wounds, right? Basically of the Korean War and the Cold War. That is real. Okay, fine. That's mm-hmm. interesting. 
But what <laughs> if I told you that it's a genre-busting nesting doll of comedy, science fiction, thriller, and its core, an epic compendium of Korean history that's also the dark history of American foreign entanglements? Wow, it's I would like tell you... no other novel I've read before. A cabinet of wonders <laughs> that demands to be reread. This is Kathy Park Hong's blurb. Okay. Well, that explains why the blurbs are all, or why the comps are all over the place. The blurbs are all over the place. Eggers, Charles Yu, Jonathan Lethem, Hua Shu, Kathy. I mean, look at these. A look at these hipster doll. nerd beloveds. Yeah, a, ne- <laughs> a nesting doll of a story that can be compared to Cloud Atlas. That's about what to most Americans is a very obscure part yes. of world history. That also is going to feel like homework. That's yeah. a high barrier. 544 if this was 344 pages i would feel much i'm going to read this book by the way just to get that out loud i will definitely read this book so i look forward to your review but in terms of it book category like cloud atlas if you if i would have put a cloud atlas on the list in november of 2012 (laughs) we'd be like no way but it wasn't a book of the month this does happen it could happen it could happen there's probably like a corner of literary twitter that is very excited about this yeah you're talking to it Right? Me. Okay. It's me. That's I'm me glad in the corner, R.E.M. said famously. <laughs> I'm very glad for you. Yeah. I think implicit in alternate history is, at least if readers, I think readers often feel like then we need some awareness of the, the actual history in order yeah. to appreciate the alternate history. Now, maybe in those 500 plus pages, he's laying some groundwork for how to understand this thing, even if you don't know anything about the KPG. Like, how much Googling do I have to do before I can read the novel and appreciate it? What if I told you it's question? loaded with assassins and mad poets, <laughs> RPGs and slasher films, pop bands and the perils of social media? Ain't got to Google that nothing. Like fun. Yeah, I like that stuff. That sounds like fun. But the rest of the setup also sounds like some work there. Work yeah. is not bad. It's hard to sell, though. Yeah. And so, yeah, especially okay. when you're competing with one of the best selling mystery books of yeah. last year. So Nita Prose carries on. My heart wants to pick this, but I can't. I believe you, you for that. OK, <laughs> up next, coming out from Riverhead on September. God damn it. November 7th, not September. <laughs> um, from Sigrid Nunez. Her follow-up to, oh, what was the book called? I'm looking in front of The Friend, which mm-hmm. won the National Book Award. Kind of a surprise winner there. I guess it's not a follow-up. She did What Are You Going Through in 2020, 2020 which I don't think made too much noise, honestly. So this is a singular... Story about modern life and connection. I don't know. We got to do better, folks. Like all literary books are about that. So anyway. It's a nesting doll. Yeah. Um, the Vulnerables at- offers a meditation on what our contemporary era as a solitary female narrator asks what it means to be alive at this complex moment in history and considers how our present reality affects the way a person looks back on her past. Humor, connection with others, a drift member of Gen Z. A spirited parrot named Eureka, apparently, going back to the <laughs> animal that. sidekick well, right? You know, again, another parrot. <laughs> I am not sure what this is about. A search for understanding with the parrot. Again, the friend. <laughs> uh, maybe. It seems a little, str- it seems a little um, well, Wes Anderson-y to me, but also yeah. I love Wes Anderson. I, I don't know what to make of this. Same. Yeah, a little strange, a little Wes Anderson-y is like, that's my personal vein. I want to pick this, but I just don't think I can. Yeah. <laughs> like, it it could get 
some sort of magic somewhere, especially if one of the big book clubs is casting about as we are for what to talk about in November. And most of those book clubs cater to female readership because readers buy women buy and read most books, something called the vulnerables. Like I can see possibilities for Mm -hmm. it, but on its face, it's hard to, especially knowing that Nunez is a little, Weird in a wonderful way, but like it's not a straight ahead reading experience. (sighs) Yeah. Um, I think this has more potential than than I think. That's a weird thing to say. I'm Mm -hmm. of two minds, right? Because again, (laughs) it sounds a little bit strange, but if I go back to my earlier sort of literary climate theory of upmarket needs a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of sugar, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? This is about hard things, but the New York Times Review calls it short. That's what they leave with is awesome. Short, wise, provocative, and funny. Okay. I could if I could pick four adjectives for a dark horse it book candidate, I think I might pick those exactly at this point. Those are great adjectives as a dark horse candidate. If this ends up being like my second place pick for the month. I won't be surprised. I would love for this to be the. I will bunch. read this. Two hundred fifty-six pages. We need to get behind this. We need to support this. <laughs> We're just going to start reviewing everything based on its length. Yeah. Jeff O'Neill book right. <laughs> well, and you know, like raves short. <laughs> <laughs> Not for nothing. Lessons in chemistry had a lot of those same things yes. and a narrating animal, and so maybe there like the go. zaniness of a, a plucky parrot sidekick. Yeah. Is a plus there? I will read this one. If you I would love to a non-standard it. plucky animal sidekick, is it where would parrot be your third <laughs> behind otter? I mean, where are you going with this? <laughs> Obviously, otter is near the top there's of the no list. There's no question. Have you seen that? There's uh, a video that I don't send my children social video <laughs> memes very often because that mm-hmm. way lies death. Yeah. But there is some zoo somewhere that the otter. I don't know exhibit has two little holes cut out in the plexi and the otters stick mm-hmm. their hands through it so you can rub their hands oh my god I, isn't that insane <laughs> that's amazing yeah that's amazing so there you go i don't know because um, oh, we're plucky sidekicks definitely otter yeah i think parrot is interesting you can sit there it talks already it's on your shoulder mm-hmm, it can fly mm-hmm. you know easy to feed can get into there you go yeah can All get right. into some Good stuff yeah yeah, all right. So Nita Prose carries on, Nita but Prose, Secret Nunez... really blasting through blockers, running downfield towards yeah. the end zone. Only the high safeties remain here. Okay. We did a literary, or a, a celebrity memoir draft, a mini one, to try mm-hmm. to corral some of this stuff. I could not make this list in good conscience without at least thinking about My Name is Barbara by Barbara Streisand. The Keystone end cap memoir of one of the 20th centuries, less 21st centuries, which maybe is demerit here, cultural icons. A singer, dancer, actor, gay icon, cultural icon, Jewish. I mean, it's incredible when you start thinking of all the pieces in the Venn diagram of her stardom. I think we saw the Britney book break out. I think there's a world in which she you could have considered here her a kind of Britney Spears. Those she had the acting chops that Britney did you see the note those viral videos of like Britney Spears notebook? Audition? Yes, oh yes. I have seen all the Britney Spears I, I know, supporting material. I know, I know, I know this Kelly did into it. Go check out the Book Riot podcast. <laughs> and I just wanna I just wanna as we drive past the Barbara Streisand roadside attraction here, I at least want to <laughs> consider it. 
Yeah, I think driving past the Barbara Streisand roadside attraction is the right way to think about it. Because first of all, you know what this book isn't? Short. (laughs) I don't think of it so much as one book, but four books. Does that help? Right. I've been thinking about this because I'm on duty for today in books next week. And yeah. I've been thinking, like, what are my picks for the it books of the week going to be? And am I obligated <sighs> to make the Barbara Streisand the nonfiction pick? Because it's it was such a big deal. But today, as we record this, we are less than a week out mm. from the release of the Streisand memoir. And I have seen zero press. No leaks. Now, maybe... Yeah, maybe my brain is broken from having seen like what we saw around Spare and then around Britney Spears, where some of the big beats of the book had been released and leaked before the book came out. But in 900 and some odd pages of stuff, like there's not a single leak. So is it juicy is my first question. And if it's not, why is it 900 pages of not juicy? And it's just like, so I'm not seeing there's no zeitgeist around Barbara yeah. so far is what I'm saying. Maybe this book becomes a different choice next week if like all of a sudden the press comes out. Maybe they've just done a good embargo around it. But I, I don't know. I just am not feeling any buzz around this. Does that I think it will have a long... to spark a Streisandizance where people are like, hey, rem- here's a clip from Funny Girl that, mm. and, like, and people start picking up. Is Netflix going to have Yentl on? I'm serious. Like, have people done stuff <laughs> right. like this? Is it ready to go? Is Gen Z going to, like, yes. get obsessed with Barbara Streisand and start talking about it? Maybe? That seems possible. I mean, would I bet my life on it? Absolutely not. Welcome to the algorithms. Yeah, but it, if you told me that happened, I would be like, oh, I that, that, that kind of tracks, Right. Actually. It could happen. I think this is going to move some units, especially going into the holidays. Yeah. Like, everyone who doesn't know what to buy their mother-in-law for Christmas is buying the Barbara Streisand memoir. That's, you, but you I just uh, you, you lift with your legs when you're rapping. I'm yeah. just, I'm just be right. <laughs> I just don't know that it has enough of the other components that we look for in it yeah. books to feel confident about it. I think I it will have a longer life than yeah. the Nita Pros, since that's what it's directly competing right. against right. right now. But in terms of it bookiness, I think there's still more potential for need a prose like unless or until some big revelations come out that make people who aren't Barbara Streisand fans interested in Barbara Streisand as a concept because yeah. that's like what Britney and Prince Harry and other big celebrity yeah, memoirs she do is jaded? you're interested she could be on front street talking about I right. don't know having a fling with Robert Redford at Elaine's in the se- I, I don't know like, I'm just trying to like presumably she's got stories juice. right Has and to be. And as I said to Kelly, when we did the segment about the Britney Spears book, like I'm not a big fan of Britney Spears's music, but I'm very interested in Britney Spears as a person in our culture. And I think you need to cross that threshold to sell a lot of books as a celebrity memoirist that I just don't know that Barbara Streisand is going to get to like the mainstream reader who's not already in who hasn't already bought Streisand stock. So need a prose carries on. I could also be the wrong person. Maybe my barometer for this is screwed up on the negative side too. Cause when I was listening to Nirvana in 1991, like my grandma putting on Barbara Streisand Christmas album or whatever was like possibly the least cool thing that could ever happen That's in someone's true. life. <laughs> so, you know, I could also be extremely on the the wrong side of this. And like, you've got to be nuts. It's going to sell a bunch and mm-hmm. it's going to have this Streisandizance and you know, I wasn't even there yeah, for the we first could be time. very wrong. Could be very I think wrong. if we're wrong here, we're going to be really very wrong. wrong. Yeah. I think the 992 pages is tips the scales considerably in our favor. <laughs> like literally. Yeah, literally tips the scales. All right, two more to go. The Liberators by E.H. Coe. 
This is, again, I don't know this author. I didn't read the first one. The early reviews have been outstanding. It's 240 pages. <laughs> it's Tin House, which is a great press, but doesn't have the marketing publicity weight of some others to make a book happen. Her first mm-hmm. her first book, The Magical Language of Others, won some awards. Like It was very well re- regarded, but it was like the Washington State Pacific Net- Northwest Book Award, pen op- like early career kinds okay. of awards. Mm-hmm. On the other hand... A moving and lyrical debut, assured, kinetic prose, poetic prose, splendid characters. I guess this is my art writing pick. Sometimes this happens where this is the book people are carrying around. It's beautiful. It's moving. You know, it's got an Instagram friendly cover of like paper doves. Okay, great. (laughs) I don't know. It's like it's set during it's set in Korea as well. Um, And then the couple moves over. And someone gets into an illicit relationship hmm. and things happen. Uh, a family saga of 288 pages. Can you do that? Can we have a family saga? Of, I'm sorry, 240 <laughs> pages. Ooh. I'm just not sure that you can do saga in 240 pages. I'd love it to be wrong. I'd love to be wrong about this. Mm-hmm. But I think this is sort of my hipster pick. The Ed, and this is Tin House, right? This is not Random House, yeah. the Ed Park book, which is, has serious... Right weight behind it so this is kind of my hipster pick think, before we get into the last the last yeah i think hipster pick sounds right knowing what kind of books tin house makes and also as you were saying that it's not likely to have a huge publicity mm-hmm. budget by virtue of being a smaller press this would have to be a word of mouth yes sensation t- yes to be like on the scale of sally rooney <laughs> to become the it book which of, is just i mean you can't think that's i mean that's right uh, so I don't think it's likely to beat Nita Prose. But if we were doing what will be the hipster book of the month, it sounds like this would be a big contender. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. And let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. 
It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right. Second to last, To Free the Captives, A Plea for the American Soul by former Nobel Poet Laureate Tracy K. Smith. Wait, isn't this the last or did you do 11? I'm doing 11. Because wait, just wait on. Because the 11 one I have to include, though. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) So it's a personal manifesto that connects with larger themes of black life in America. She's won a Pulitzer Prize. I guess this goes all the way back to, is this enough poetry for the homework to go down a little easier? Because we've had a lot of books Mm -hmm. that kind of sound like Mm -hmm. this, like the Clint Smiths and a whole, and those are all needed. I'm not saying, but I'm talking about it book potential. Yeah. The difference here would be Tracy K. K Smith is a wonderful writer of words. She really is. And I will listen to this for sure. Is it too much of a bummer? Can it do, and again, it has every right to be a bummer because this is all super bummer stuff. But could it do, you know, could it do a little up note as part of it? Could it have a grace note? Weaving in an account of her growing spiritual practice, she argues that the soul is not merely a private side of of respite or transcendence, but a tool for fulfilling our duties to each other and a sounding Mm -hmm. bar for our most pressing collective questions. Where are we going in where we have been? So the reason I put it on here is Tracy K. Smith, I think, yeah, memoirs yeah. by poets, that better themes yes. I'm always here for. But it sounds like to me, it does have a little of what next is a minute, which I think may be the right tack to take now. That's my Yeah, I it. think what next ism that isn't just how do we come out of COVID, but is big picture. Yep. Like all of the things that are going on in the world and Tracy K. Smith does cast a wide like to cast her eyes wide at what's happening this is the one that i think i wish could be the it book of the month it could do like claudia rankine citizen stuff and be really big given what like this particular november is feeling like in the world i don't know yeah i know I want to make it a year the ago. Of the month. I think this is a strong yeah. contender. I feel. I think it yes. feels completely. Yeah, different. this has been. Yeah, this has been on my radar. It's on my reading list for November. I'm really looking forward to it. Memoirs by poets, man. But yeah, I don't think. I don't think it's likely to be the it book of the month. I would be I, just delighted yeah. to be wrong. Right. The last and eleventh pick, Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. Uh. <laughs> The sequel to the smash hit phenomenon, Fourth Wing. 640 pages, the second book of the Empyrean series. I just linked the other day to Amazon picking up the whole shebang to make into Mm -hmm. a thing. I don't know what else I need to say about that. Yeah, this episode should have been Iron Flame is the it book of November. What's the second choice? Yeah, I know. Well, that's not that interesting. I don't know. It's not. I'm glad you saved it until the end. It's going to sell a floppity jillion copies. The most End important of story. question to you, Rebecca Shinsky, is both of you. All, anyone that's <laughs> recording with me right now. I contain multitudes. Yeah. Are we going to read one of these damn books? 
I thought about this when the Variety news came out about the adaptation. Yeah, I think we're going to have to read Fourth Wing before the Amazon show comes out. Yes, but I'm going to wait until it's adaptation time. So for those of you who don't know, Fourth Wing, I did a really, I thought, excellent, interesting interview, not because of me, but because of Molly Majumdar and Stacey Abrams from Red Tower, the publishers of this book, someone VP of mm-hmm. operations, Stacey, Stacey Abrams, literally in charge of making sure the boats got on, the, got, the books got on the boat from China yeah. when it's all really sold out. Interesting. And then Molly Majumdar, the editorial director there, sort of how, you know, how this book came to be from a, a content and, you know, author and, you know, story side. This is the phenomenon of the year this book and every almost every meeting i had in new york the word romanticy was brought up and yes. you be, we better collectively gird or i guess if you're so inclined to ungird your loins for the romanticy <laughs> invasion that will be visited upon us over the next two years because yeah. oh my god are there what i am waiting for is the big profile of rebecca yaros because she has replaced Colleen Hoover yep. atop the TikTok throne. Mm-hmm. So, and atop the bestseller lists, not for nothing. And the strategy uh, so, of doing a five book deal up front and the first two are in the can so that you can strike yes. why literally the mm-hmm. iron flame is hot here. <laughs> is it, we're going to see this. This is a thing we're going to be seeing more of. Yes. Get ready. And we're going to hit the O'Neill's razor pretty quickly. Yes. I think of the series being complete. Yep. Um, Big deal. Big deal. For sure. Big deal. Yeah. All right. That's our episode. Iron Flame wins, not by default, but just by sheer sort of like raging wildfire force. I think an interesting list of, I kind of, it's fun to talk about some of the ones that are further down the cultural or the sort of bookish awareness Mm -hmm. ladder, because there's so many interesting books. Like I could, this could be my reading list for the month and I'd be perfectly happy as a reader. Yeah. This is all really interesting stuff. Good stuff. Rebecca, thank you as always. We will talk Always to you. I think for December, we're going to do a It Book retrospective. We're going to evaluate some of our picks and discussions from the April onwards. We can pick up January, February, and March and maybe mention a couple. There's a couple of things on my December radar, but it's we can't do. Yeah. We can't squeeze 50 minutes out of it. So. I think that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. And if you've got ideas for how to structure that, shoot me an email. First edition at bookriot.com. Love feedback. Very excited to hear from readers. Thank you all so much for listening, rating, review the show. Rebecca, thank you. It was always my, I think think my favorite hour of podcasting, as much as we like the the Book Riot podcast. Yeah, this is a good time. This is a good time. Uh, Talk to you all soon.